So back in 2020, I, Steven Schinder, started a podcast called Delayed Replay, recapping and reviewing the latest films. However, it got broadcast into an alternate universe, where those films got delayed and came out differently from how I was describing them. Because of how me and my guests had been describing the films, people in that other universe were saying that this was all an improvised comedy podcast, which, listening back, I can totally get why they believe that. A lot of weird stuff happened in that first year, and I even met my other self from that other universe, who pops in from time to time, for better or worse. And now, in the year 2023, this podcast continues, still recapping and reviewing movies and sometimes some other things that got delayed or cancelled in that other universe. New episode Saturdays, every other week, unless I decide otherwise for some special reason, or whatever. You are listening to Delayed Replay, Season 4. Hello listeners, welcome to another episode of Delayed Replay, that podcast where we recap and review movies that got delayed in that other universe, but came out on time in our universe, or sometimes... It might be something that didn't come out at all in that universe and is just kind of unique to us. Um, and this time it's a TV special or Disney Plus special, like if, whatever you want to call it, called Werewolf by Right Past Dusk, the sequel to Werewolf by Night. But introductions are in order. Joining me, you may have heard him on some previous episodes. Uh, it is Star Raptor. How's it going? Hey, how's it going, Steven? It's really fun to be back on the show once again. Uh, I think I still might hold the record for uh, most times on delayed replays. So is that still standing? <laughs> um, I think it's possible that either Greg or Mr. Multiverse have had more. But yeah, you've been here like quite a bunch. Although I think the last time might have been Gotham Knights, the video game around this time of year. So yeah, kind of coming full circle, doing a DC one and now a Marvel one. It's crazy. Yeah, and just around that time of the year where it's like, yeah, these superhero universes, you know, we're talking about Halloween, talking about costumes, so it all fits. It all works out, especially this time around with monsters. Yeah, so since I'm not sure if we've talked about this with you specifically on the show, what's your overall experience with marvel like how'd you get into marvel yeah it's funny because i was kind of a late bloomer when it came to marvel i was very deep into star wars with uh lucasfilm um being acquired by disney and i was like oh this is really fun with star wars so far and i think it was actually now i remember it was back in 2012 when avengers came out earlier that year i went to college and it was opening opening weekend for college and i was like all right what is what is there do they happen to be showing avengers in like the gymnasium i said okay cool let me check it out i had no idea what was going on it was like obviously this black widow character that's has some history this iron man guy has history and you know i i, I didn't know the storylines but then i said okay let me go back and, and watch from the beginning so it really was okay let me try to watch avengers a little bit you know foggy on what's going on here and then and then going in that way so um 
and then soon after that i started getting the comics too but yeah it was very late in life when i got into superheroes in general yeah that's fascinating because compared to other movies the avengers is like on the surface it feels like a movie where stuff kind of just happens right like it doesn't hold your hand give you the backstory it's just like okay this is what's going on now and they're all coming together and fighting this guy named loki and his army and it sounds pretty simple like Mm -hmm. and what's funny though is the way that you got into it i feel like it's kind of the way that some people get into certain comics like they'll just pick something up that's in the middle of a story and if it interests them enough they'll be like okay i need to go back and see what led to this you know does that sound like an apt comparison yeah it does i mean there's there's so much content out there between dc marvel and everything else that it not everybody's going to pick up from starting point and a lot of times it it takes steam to build up for these things to really hit uh you know after iron man and after thor after uh, the different other movies in there where it was like, okay, Avengers is the end all be all. And obviously it was like the champion of the box office and brought in way more money than anything else did. So, you know, you got more eyeballs on that, especially people wanted to see what the hype was about. And maybe they don't necessarily want to go back and watch and spend their time watching stuff that they may, may not even have any interest in. So let's just see whatever, ever, you know, what everybody else is talking about essentially. So, yeah, I think that that happens quite a bit. Like, I imagine with the the latest Saw movie, people are probably like, "Oh, I want to watch a good horror movie. Let me just go watch Saw X." And they're like, "Oh yeah, that that movie actually could be watched in a vacuum, and you don't really need to watch anything else." And I think that's uh, the great making of a movie is is when you can make something that you know appeases the fans that have been uh, you know investing their time in the other parts of the mediums and different stories, but then also being able to have a complete story. At the same time, it's I, I feel like that's a very difficult kind of, you know, thing to balance on. Yeah, we took a trip to that other universe to see Saw X and see what the hubbub was about. And yeah, it's pretty like it doesn't get too lore heavy. Like it, it does kind of spoil something from the second movie that uh I, I don't know if like the casual fans are like this, but maybe it's something that's seeped into the public consciousness and I just don't know, but it still preserves certain other twists from those other sequels. And yeah, the Saw X from that universe is better than the one in this universe, which kind of gets messy. So, you know, <laughs> multiverse weirdness. <laughs> First off, Werewolf by Night came out uh year ago october 2022 and back then it was just in black and white but in like around the time that this sequel was coming out they were building the hype and we're like okay let's release the first one in color so people can watch it so what are your thoughts on werewolf by night and the whole like black and white and color thing well werewolf by night is such a great experience that is different from everything else that i've seen in a marvel universe it was i think it was credited as as their comic counterparts called one shot meaning it's a standalone story anthology story you don't have to watch anything previous anything afterwards it's set in its own as i said with the prior thing i just said its own complete story from start to finish very easy to digest like 45 minute 50 minute experience 
and you get the whole thing beginning middle and end and so i really applaud marvel for trying something different yes they've had plenty of disney plus series they've had so many movies but here's this other idea that ties into everything else but it just has nothing but new characters so you also don't have to know anything previously as far as characters are concerned it is the epitome of like walking into something and just enjoying it and then getting that experience so i really liked it but then i thought it was really cool the idea of it being black and white for just the the hammer horror that it was you could see that it was derived the influence um, of those those 50s horror movies with dracula and all that they were all often so i like the filming of that as well and yeah uh, yeah, even like the 30s universal stuff yeah yeah because uh, correct me if i'm wrong um who directed this was it somebody involved with oh it's giacchino he was the um yeah that was a surprise he did the he did the score for rogue one next thing you know this guy's delivering on directing an actual marvel a piece of entertainment i i was blown away that this guy was able to transition so well i don't know if he's had any other credit with uh, creative stuff besides scores in in movies or in sh- series, whatever. But yeah, I mean, just going back to the idea of like, this could be bloodiest. <laughs> and I thought they also made it black and white because they're like, hey, we're not going to be able to get away with showing this in full color, but yet they are somehow now. So I, I find that interesting. I'm very fast. I haven't watched it with the color yet, but I definitely have to see that in color now after watching it yeah i feel like a composer becoming a director was kind of random but i have to think to myself like you know and with the saw sequels like a couple of those were directed by people like one of them was like the designer and another was the editor so they came from like other areas in the film sphere but i feel like music is even further away so it was a really impressive uh, leap from going to just music to doing this television special and i will say that while the color version it does look interesting i i think the it looks better in black and white to me personally maybe it just to me adds that creepier feel and it works better as an homage to the older monster movies in that way um overall i thought that the story for the first one was fine like maybe like a seven out of ten but i still appreciated that marvel took that step like you said you know all new characters that we hadn't seen in the mcu before and that's something that i appreciate about Star Wars visions as well, you know, that trying a different style and focusing on completely new characters there. Yeah, I, I, and you're right, right? Like, the, I think part of the identity of why this hits so well for me specifically is just the idea that it is black and white. You know, you add color and it does kind of become like everything else that Marvel's put out, obviously. So to have it kind of in that capsule of time. And even the editing, it's been a while since I watched uh, Werewolf by Night, but I, I do remember like even the editing, like the font and, and the music and everything were, were very much influenced by the, the classic horror. So that, that just gets the whole vibe a little bit different when you are in black and white as well. But yeah, the story, uh, sometimes I just like a very simple story when it comes to that. I just want to 
go in there, have my popcorn and just forget about everything and just enjoy it. But I, I think the action sequence was really, really fun. And just the idea of like, you have all these different hunters and there's this like maze this, of, of plants and you're going through and people are getting picked off and you're not sure what the monster is. And there's this big reveal at the end and it's like, whoa, this person was this. And so it had that classic like, oh, wow, who, you know, this is a, a nice little, little kind of uh, surprise at the end there. Yeah. And, you know, obviously we're going into spoilers. So if people are listening to this, I don't know why they'd listen before watching the special. But, uh, well, before going into the spoiler, the thing I want to mention real quickly is that the whole presenting it in black and white and then presenting it in color thing, it does kind of remind me of how comic books will sometimes they might release something in color and then later on they'll be like oh release the director's cut version in black and white or something so it's kind of the reverse there but it feels like a very comic booky decision um and, and in terms of the spoilers so oh, the first special inspired me to check out the werewolf by night comic series like the original oh. one and i got through the first 22 issues before my Marvel Unlimited uh, subscription expired. I'm sure I'll subscribe again sometime in the future, not sure mm -hmm. when. But for me, the big highlight in that Werewolf by Night special was the appearance of Man-Thing. Um, had you been familiar mm. with Man-Thing at all before this? No, I have no idea, although he looks and seems like he's a lot like Swamp Thing from the DC Universe. <laughs> yeah, like like I was more familiar with Swamp Thing. Like I've read almost all of the Swamp Thing comics. Wow. But yeah, it's it's a lot. Uh, that is a lot. Yeah, all thanks to DC Universe. But um, uh, I I was aware of Man Thing as well. Like I knew that he had this really terrible um mid two thousands TV movie or something that was like pretty bad. And in my head, like years later, you know, when I was getting into Swamp Thing, I had it in my head that Swamp Thing came first and then Man Thing was a thing with Marvel. But it turns out it's the other way around, I think. And their debuts are not too far apart. So, you know, maybe there was like some idea stealing or cross pollinating between the comic companies. I mean, that's happened with some things here and there, but. The execution, I feel, is different enough, enough, uh, so um, they feel like different types of adventures. So I've read like a bit of Man Thing here and there since watching that uh, again before my Marvel Unlimited subscription expired, and uh, even R.L. Stein, the Goosebumps author, mm. wrote a little mini series, which was kind of weird. Oh, that's different okay has he written has he written anything like more adult or is he mainly just in his wheelhouse of like kids and young adult i think at some point he may have written a few horror books that were a little more mature but i'm not familiar enough with them to really say but yeah a shout out to rl stein whose goosebumps books were what got me into chapter books and i guess yeah the horror the horror genre in a way the same. Oh, those are so such classics. The Little Dummy, the Haunted Amusement Park. The yeah, one I always land. remember. The one I yeah, the only one I remember is the one with the mask. There's these kids and they end up in this house 
It might be on Halloween, but there's like all these. Oh, masks. the haunted mask. I guess it's as simple as that. <laughs> yeah, it, that's an iconic one. The headless ghost was my first Goosebumps book. Um, and yeah, have you checked out the new Disney Plus TV show? No, I have not. Um, have you? Yeah, uh, it's kind of weird because, oh. you know, the Goosebumps book, I know we're going on a tangent, but it's almost Halloween, so whatever. Um, the Goosebumps books it tend to focus on 12-year-olds and these scary situations. Yeah. The Disney Plus show focuses on teenagers and even, like, their parents and a couple adult characters. And huh. it's it's kind of weird because it feels a little more like a drama and the Goosebumps elements feel kind of surface level, almost like they looked at the book titles and were like, okay, this is called The Haunted Mask, so we'll put a mask in this. Okay, this is Go Eat Worms, so we'll put worms in this. Aww. And uh, Slappy the Dummy, I will say, was kind of interesting, had my attention uh, whenever he was on screen in this version. But the voice took some getting used to because I think it's more of a British accent instead of uh, like a 40s gangster type voice so i'm still trying to make up my mind about that but the other parts of the episode i kept thinking i kind of wish i'd focus more on the dummy aspect and just stay on that for the whole episode but apparently there's gonna be another night of the living dummy episode so it's mixed at best i would say in my opinion I, i definitely enjoyed the just beyond series uh a while back uh that was also based on R.L. Stein's books, although I hadn't read those books, so I'm not sure how different it was from the source material, but it was a nice anthology show. This one is more of a, it follows the same group of characters throughout these okay. different situations that are all connected. Huh. Yeah, I, yeah. based off that, uh, you know, honest review, I'm like, I don't know if I want to, spend time watching that i guess but <laughs> yeah uh, I, I don't blame you it's like no <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's like the twist ending here cue the hello zap theme um but <laughs> yeah also we're recording on october 23rd and apparently today's a birthday of a few people who've been involved in marvel there's ryan reynolds deadpool himself amelia clark who was in secret invasion uh, Sam Raimi, director of the Spider-Man trilogy and wow. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And Ang Lee, who directed the 2003 Hulk movie. So, yeah, there you go. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of people in Marvel to celebrate. And, you know, with with the whole secret invasion, Amelia Clark's character, that's a whole nother rabbit hole I don't want to get into. But I'll just <laughs> leave it at that was very interesting how that yeah, ended. It, yeah, it yeah, it's I thought it was bad, but that, <laughs> I, I think that's the majority opinion. And yeah, so uh, yeah. But anyway, uh, getting back to Werewolf by Right Past Dusk. So we come back to these characters, you know, Jack Russell, uh, the werewolf himself, also Bloodstone and uh, Ted, who, which is the real name of Man Thing. So. Uh, it was great seeing them again, and it opens up with this. They find this mysterious letter. So, what what did you think of like this mysterious letter, like how it looked and what it said? 
Yeah, it was it was interesting how you know a lot of these a lot of these different stories we hear. It's like you know the Willy Willy Wonka in a chocolate factory or whatever other story you want to say. Like somebody gets invited to some place and it was like, all right, you must you must meet us in uh, this little small town in Brazil. And it's like, wait, wow, okay, so. I, I forget where the first movie was located or the first uh, Werewolf by Night was located exactly. But it's like, oh, this is neat. Like, you know, I, I have, you know, we haven't seen a lot of Marvel anything in, in Brazil. So I was like, all right, cool. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing some of South America in, in, in a Marvel in a Marvel thing. So but uh, yeah, I thought that was that was interesting. Yeah, and it was a nice way to showcase the Portuguese language. You know, you get some characters here from Brazil who speak that. And yeah, it's a nice setting. I, I will say that this is... So I've watched both the black and white and the colored version of this. And while I still prefer black and white overall for the most part, I do think the color version really does justice to this brazil setting so i think both are worth watching for different reasons oh yeah because you know you're you're kind of in the jungle so you got the lush greens and the very vibrant colors and all so yeah it's it's definitely more of a choice in this one versus the original one where it's like okay should i should i not yeah and man thing feels very at home in this place like you see him chilling and it even seems like he's debating whether he should stay here and just like kind of like separate from his friends. But ultimately he decides, Oh, I'll go with them to this place and then see how I feel. So that was something I was kind of not expecting really. Yeah. This whole idea of being in your own environment, being at, being at home and, and having things kind of happen where you got pulled away from home and it's like, no, I don't want to go, but I, we got this important mission and you, you got to go. And you definitely could connect with this weird monster creature. And I think that's what they did well at the end of the first one is make you feel sympathetic for this crazy monster that looks like it could, it will, it could easily kill you. And, and it's got this little emotional element uh, through the animation uh, with the with the graphics and all, it's just like they really do a great job with showing emotion and showing that you care. I mean, it's like Groot, right? Like they were able to make a tree able to emote. And it wasn't the first time, to be fair, but they did such a great job with Groot. Oh, yeah. I mean, I say what you I, I, I wasn't a fan of his actual appearance in the third movie thought it was a little strange <laughs> it almost looks like there's somebody inside of Groot but there isn't you know as far as like a costume They're more or less from the holiday special but uh yeah I digress I digress <laughs> yeah when he said holiday special I immediately went to Star Wars holiday special <laughs> <laughs> yes no we actually have a good holiday special out now and I will yeah. <laughs> put my foot down and say I, I'm gonna have to watch it every year maybe but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Guardians Holiday Special is pretty decent. Um, but yeah, so they're going to this place in Brazil and there are some tourists around so um, who are really scared by their appearance. So, you know, you get the whole thing of like, oh, we look scary. So like we got to be careful and not draw too much attention, which I mean, doesn't work for very long because they already get like an angry mob of people after them because of how scary they look. Yeah, 
I mean, put it this way, right? What what time period does this actually take place in? Because I sort of forget. Is it is it set in the 40s and 50s? Because the first movie, like I said, it's been a while. Well, they make it look ambiguous, but I saw somewhere that like there's a date somewhere that says that someone died in the 80s. And I think on the official like Marvel uh, stuff, they say that this is like after some of the more recent movies. So I think it's in the present, but it has an aesthetic that's reminiscent of like those Universal and Hammer horror classics. Yeah, because the only reason why I say is that because how familiar are people in Brazil at this time of like all the crazy shenanigans that could have happened in, with aliens in like, you know, in New York City or people getting disappear. I feel like that's a worldwide thing. Everybody knows about that. I mean, even if you're in a tiny little town like this in Brazil, somebody's going to like be like, oh, yeah, yeah, this big swamp looking thing. That's that's perfectly normal in our world. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but there might be people out there that are just like completely cut off from everything. They're like, oh my gosh, what is this thing? <laughs> yeah, it also kind of feels like they were maybe setting up this idea that, you know, people, even if they're used to superheroes, won't be as accepting of mutants, uh, which is why the, in this they include a villain character called the Hunchback, who is a mutant with like, some i think he has like tough skin and he looks very buff and monstrous uh, but it's very much like a riff on the hunchback of notre dame and he appeared this one appeared in the werewolf by night comics in just one issue from what i remember and it was kind of weird so it's kind of a deep cut that they would throw him in this and make it like this other monster that's sort of terrorizing the people in this area and i guess kind of feeding into that fear of like oh mutants are bad type thing yeah so i I like the idea this is sort of similar situation of the first movie where it's like you get multiple hunters right like the 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 end all be all of this story is okay there is a vampire very powerful vampire that is in the small town of brazil and all the specialists from around the world are there to take out of vampires. Of course, uh, the werewolf by night himself, uh, Jack Russell, that was his name, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's there. Cause this, this guy, he, he's good at blending in, but he could also turn into this really savage creature. So he's a good, he's a good person to be able to get for this mission. But I like the, again, going back to Brazil and having this set in a completely different place than you would normally expect you always expect vampires in like eastern europe or like you know the general transylvania thing but no we're gonna have vampire in south america why not so the setting really evokes a lot of different imagery for a classic kind of horror vibe so this definitely feels a little bit more unique and, and original than this several dozen vampire movies or whatever we have now yeah, it's probably a lot more than that since there are like so many vampire movies that's really hard to count them. Um, but yeah, I do like how Marvel is getting more and more into the vampire thing. I mean, there were kind of mixed results with Morbius, obviously, but Blade, like, you know, such a a huge 
hit there, like a, a big hit. And so um, it's really cool that they're delving into this sort of stuff, like the vampire lore and whatnot. Blade was such a presence in this. I'm really kind of a show stealer. So, uh, y- you know, it, it kind of feels like Werewolf by Night and, um, you know, and else uh, like they're it kind of feels like they fade a little bit in the background whenever blade is on screen <laughs> here because the actor has like such a huge presence if that makes sense but i still feel like their dynamic like is really interesting like at first he's not sure whether he can trust them because you know he's a vampire hunter so basically a monster hunter and they look kind of monstrous but eventually there's an understanding after they kind of do the annoying thing of like the heroes fight each other type yeah. thing. Yeah. Yep. For a few minutes. Yep. <laughs> oh yeah. You get you get to see the arsenal of blade as glorious as it was in the previous other movies. You know, you got the he's got the trench coat with all the different kind of weapons under there, the blades, the knives. You know, he's got the steak launcher shotgun, which is something new that we see later on in the movie. It's like, oh wow, I wonder what that thing's gonna do. You know, <laughs> at, one, at one point they're just chilling at this like little place and uh, he orders like more garlic bread um, to go. <laughs> yeah, I wonder uh, we're going to be fully stocked. Like apparently, you know, there's certain movies where, where vampires are impervious to certain things that they usually would be susceptible to. But in this case, I guess this vampire could be hurt by garlic. So. Got to stock up on that at least. Yeah, like really feeding into the vampire lore by trying to feed them garlic bread, you know. Um, <laughs> and and this weapon, the steak launcher, shotgun. Have you seen this in something else? Like, did Marvel come up with this, or was this already in something? No, this was actually in an Xbox video game. It was a game called Redfall, where it's this basically little small town off the coast of Massachusetts uh, somehow gets overtaken by vampires and they kind of wall it off with like water with magical spells. Like nobody else can interfere with their idea of blocking out the sun so they can persist in the daytime and feed off all the people there. But yeah, that was one of the guns you could, it's a first person shooter, one of the guns you could use. And it's like an instant kill weapon on any vampire. Normally you would have to weaken them with like, other weapons, but the but the steak launcher shot steak launcher shotgun instantly oh, nice. incinerates them. So it's uh it's like the golden gun from from James Bond. You get this thing, and it is it is a pretty much one shot weapon. So yeah, I mean they they embellished it in this mo- in, in 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 uh this year uh, episode uh you know release because they make it look like its own thing. Of course, it's not just ripped out of the game, but. You know, again, it, there's only so much ammunition you could use in this thing. So Blade has to really use it sparingly in order to uh, kind of survive out there. Right. Yeah. And, you know, with Marvel being Marvel, they do do the thing of like sort of making a joke. Oh, steak launcher. You mean it launches like a, a beef steak? Like what? Like and there's a whole like back and forth about that for like a full minute. And it's like, OK, can we please move on? from this yeah i mean that's the thing right with these marvel movies especially this one you know it's that short like 50 minute kind of thing so they don't have that much time to deal with character development but at least 
I like that it wasn't all action. Like halfway through, halfway through the movie, like but in the beginning of 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 this, I keep calling it a movie. I keep calling it an episode. It's just I forget what the heck the class. It's it's, it's a special presentation. Special presentation. All right. So like the beginning of the special presentation. You see everybody fighting off against the um, uh, not not the actual vampire, but his followers like this vampire as often is depicted has a cult of people, has uh, these these acolytes. They're, they're not vampires themselves, although they, they would like to be. They're just like these cult dummies that are going after them. So you have this whole element. Um, but then halfway through the movie, of course, you get like this nice slow period where the characters are able to have these conversations, you know. Um, our, our main character from the first one, as well as uh, Jack Russell, getting a little bit of what's been happening since, and and they're they're uh, you know they make these little asides and different things, references to other adventures. Where I was like, oh, they're talking about this, or oh, they're talking about that. I want to know more about that story. So, you know, leave some room because there's obviously some time that has passed. So I always like when stories do that. It's like, okay, we can leave it up to the imagination or maybe next year or the year after they'll have the story that kind of bridges both of these uh, special presentations together. But yeah, I just really like how the, as short as this thing was running at like 48 minutes long, we still got about an eight minute section where it did feel a little bit longer drawn out, but it, it did help with adding a little bit more stakes because we get to know these characters more. Uh, stakes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And eventually what we learn about these vampires, like when they ask them, like, why are you doing all this? Like, why are you hurting like all these people? And they're like, for spite, you know, basically, I don't know if you ever watched Seinfeld, but that felt like a very Seinfeld moment where one of the characters ought to do something just out of spite. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, what what was your overall thoughts on on the actual team of characters? I mean, this is this is kind of like the Avengers style for like the horror entities of the Marvel universe. What was your what was your favorite character out of everybody? Well, I th- I think Blade definitely. Um, although. Man Thing is a close second, but I can't help but compare Man Thing against Swamp Thing. And Swamp Thing is like one of my all time favorite DC heroes. But yeah, I thought this was a strong team. Uh, I did kind of wish, well, and I heard that they were sort of considering doing this. Uh, like, I, I guess they were considering like throwing in like, um, characters from like the sony stuff like morbius and even and even uh well at the very end of this man wolf comes into the fray and it's very brief like he doesn't really appear long enough to be considered part of the team and i think part of that is that they really wanted this to feel like a lot more of its own thing and not throw in too many characters like you have to do your homework like i kind of get the sense that Giacchino was like pushing against that and trying to make this more like it's in a vacuum even though you do have blade and he's very pivotal to like other stuff in the mcu 
Yeah, it's it's always difficult to be able to balance that of like, yeah, let's make this standalone, but also make it interesting for the fans that have devoted the time. And, you know, there's that nice little like post credit thing at the end, which got me really excited that I got to admit with like a they we're going to have some kind of Midnight Suns thing with maybe maybe a reference to Ghost Rider at the end, like meeting with Blade and like in this alley in New York where they're like, oh, we got to track down like um uh this this demon character i was like oh wow lilith is is this classic demon character i was actually in one of the games that came out recently so you know as much as this is like part of its universe like oh I'm, I'm just as intrigued to see what comes next you know yeah and i think they were even considering having a hellstrom connection you know that hulu tv show oh yeah that, that almost nobody watched but Again, like, I think for this one, they were showing some restraint. I mean, honestly, I was really surprised that we didn't get another post credit scene showing all these characters on Battleworld for Secret Wars. That was really refreshing that they didn't do that like they've done with some of these other things recently. Yeah, but, oh my gosh, how, how about the identity of the vampire, though? Because this is one of those things where it's like, it gets a good 40 minutes into this 48 minute movie or special for <laughs> there wasn't much time left at the end of so i'm like what the heck are they waiting so long where, where's this vampire the vampire ended up being a variant of none other than scarlet witch it was a scarlet witch vampire and oh my gosh the way that they couldn't like it does leave off on a cliffhanger because how the heck are you going to deal with Somebody's so powerful in eight minutes, you know, so as much as I liked like the build up there, there was a lot of lore thrown at you. Um, new lore, nothing, nothing that anybody else would know. But like, I like that the creativity of like, oh, this wasn't this wasn't the Wanda that we know, but this was a Wanda from a different universe that, you know, she always looked like kind of vampiric to me in the first place. She always wore a lot of the red um had that eastern european kind of accent so i was like you know what it makes sense in a different universe that this could have actually been a version of the scarlet witch you know what'd you think about that whole reveal yeah they leave her origins kind of a mystery but there is this reputation that she has in this area that she's also a mutant which I mean, in the comics, Scarlet Witch was a, a mutant, and in the movies, you have all these weird things with the rights and stuff that they had to change. But yeah, they kind of leave that ambiguous, I guess, even though the mutant reputation is still a thing. And I think in hindsight, you know, killing off Wanda in Multiverse of Madness was kind of a questionable choice, but to bring mm -hmm. her back like this, it's it felt very inspired, you know, similar to how Loki was brought back for his TV show, you know, his sacrifice in, if you could call it a sacrifice in um, infinity war, you know, he dies a noble person. And then mm -hmm. it's like, Oh, does the show undo that heroism? But the show does interesting things with him here and there. So I think, you know, in some of the recent stuff, there have been questionable stuff with like the multiverse and it sometimes feels like kind of a crutch. But 
I feel like here they really are utilizing its full potential and being like, yes, there could be like this horrific, super powerful version, like not too overpowered, but powerful enough where it seems very threatening and fits that horror vibe version of Scarlet Witch. And it like works very well in this special. Oh, yeah. And then again, Marvel has to put their own spin on things and I appreciate that. This flips the script on the usual way of people becoming like vampires. Like there's no actual, you know, Scarlet Witch. Yes, she has like pointy teeth. Yes, like a vampire, of course. But she doesn't necessarily have to feed physically with the fangs to actually get something out of people. Like because she is a, you know, a witch, she just uses like spells to basically just dispose of people from a distance like you see like this red like kind of lifeline that goes between her and her target and you just see the person's life being sucked out of them and she gets more powerful so i like this like life-sucking ability that she doesn't actually have to get you know close to proximity of somebody but that also makes it extremely difficult for our hunters here uh to be able to even do anything against her because they can't even really get close I mean, she's so powerful. We've seen how much Doctor Strange struggled against her. It's like, are these heroes actually out of their depth in this one? They, they do not really know what they're getting into. Yeah, and I think it really brings things full circle on the television side of things. Because, um, you know, like WandaVision was very early in the TV stuff for Disney Plus, and it it feels like there's a bit more cohesion in this manner while also like, uh, I feel like the first werewolf by night was more standalone. Whereas werewolf by right past dusk is a, a bit more connected to other things, but not too much where people would be too confused. I don't think, like I said, they held back on certain things and I think that worked in their favor. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But what did you think about the whole scene with the chair? I mean, did you think it worked from a comedic perspective or do you think it was just straight up lame? So it felt like this was a homage to Evil Dead 2. You know, they, they sneak into the place and then Jack sits on the chair and it breaks and he falls and then all of a sudden you see like all the, all the different inanimate objects in the room start laughing at him. And, and as it turns out, Sam Raimi actually directed the, this scene and he actually has a cameo as one of the vampires in this. Yeah. And it's funny cause he's actually wearing like a, a vampire costume. It's like, wait, but he's not actually a vampire of the cult. He, he's not a, a part of, um, I forget the actual name. There's an actual name for these these fanatics that serve vampires. I don't know why I can't remember the name right now. Um, but yeah, he, he he's in a costume, but he is the informant for our heroes in this one. He is the one that's, that's like part, he infiltrated this whole scheme, this whole thing. And he was, he's like the, the cue for the James body, you know, giving them the mission. Okay. This is what I found out. Yada, yada, yada. This is where your target is. You got to arrive at this certain time and this person will be there, you know. 
So it was fu- it was a funny scene, but it actually was pretty important at the same time. Yeah, like it did get a good laugh from me because, and you know, I've talked before about how how nostalgia can sometimes be evil, and it's just a like, oh, let, let's show the familiar thing and have people point and laugh at it. But here, it actually worked for me, um, and yeah, like I didn't mind it that much really. But yeah, like the whole like the conflict like how the final fight with everyone and like you said it really does hint at like some other stuff that could happen down the road and i i really think that people are taking to these like marvel horror special presentation things and it's like i, I kind of go back and forth like the the whole big picture marvel stuff like the overarching multiversal Mm -hmm. threat thing i'm kind of go back and forth on how much i care about it whereas these more Uh self-contained uh classic monster inspired things like like i said the first special i thought was fine but this one i think was a bit more to my speed and gets me a bit more excited yeah again it kind of flips the script on many things how vampires function where vampires could be located like a person being cursed as a vampire that is a major character that we haven't seen in years like holy crap there is there's again and it's only 48 minutes long and they managed to tell all this in 48 minutes they are really good everybody involved with just streamlining this it's all killer no filler we're still getting enough development we're still having major character deaths like that character that you 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 really cared about from the comics. You said the the hunchback guy. Oh yeah, the one who only appeared like one time in the comics. Yeah, he um <laughs> like he like even though he was presented as a villain at yeah. first, he he kind of became a common ally against uh-huh. vampires, but he got like you know eviscerated you you just see the shadow of his body coming apart in like a nosferatu inspired fashion you know with the shadows i thought that was pretty cool and they like throw him off the building so like to his death i thought that was like kind of surprising and also like elsa has like a really powerful confrontation with scarlet witch uh so scarlet witch versus bloodstone and man uh-huh. thing learns to grow garlic out of himself so that was something <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and it's unfortunate because because you know as any good story there there's lasting impact and there's actual stakes and and scarlet witch is able to actually just completely negate any way for jack russell to turn into his alter ego and it's just like a lasting impact or she's able to do this like the life the life sucking type of uh, maneuver whatever it was called and yeah so the, this guy at the end of this he survives but he's clearly very different now because he's stuck in his mortal shell and he can't right now at least figure out how to get back yeah like the way the way her spell works is that you know, for everyone else, it's clear it's clearly nighttime with the moon showing. But for him, like it makes it so that the sky to him looks like it's 
just right past dusk, but not quite nighttime enough where you can clearly see the moon. So it's like he can't see the moon. So like it doesn't work for him anymore, which it was an interesting bit of lore that he actually has to see the moon in order for it to work. But to him, he just sees like a dark blue sky and like it's not strong enough to give him his power. Yeah, so... Yeah, again, very creative choice with figuring out uh, ways and, and, and problems for the common hero to uh, have to learn to prevail or learn to how to just live without. So, again, as much as this was a complete story, there are a lot of things left open, like, okay, the whereabouts of where Scarlet Witch was. Uh, she was able to get out of there. And, uh, well, we had, you know, we had a, a couple character deaths. Uh, the main one was the, the hunchback guy, um, people losing powers, people, you know, grievously wounded. Um, so there's a lot, lot cool stuff happening here, but also again, it's like, what, where is this storyline going to take place? Is it going to take place in another special presentation? Is it going to take place in a feature film? A series there's there's a lot of places we don't actually have the answer yet but hopefully soon yeah i kind of do like that it has a feeling where it feels like it's not completely mapped out like it's kind of being made up as it goes while they have like this other stuff with the universe mapped out and i think that gives this side of marvel a bit more freedom in that sense yeah, I mean, there's a lot of criticism right now with Marvel saying like, uh, like you were kind of referencing a little bit a moment ago, like uh, the multiversal threat. Like uh, as much as they're trying to get these Disney Plus series to connect this stuff, uh, they really aren't sometimes feeling like they're doing a whole lot. So it's uh, it's good to see them kind of letting off the gas a little bit to like kind of see how other things pan out. So I do like how they're, they seems like they are listening to feedback for the overall scope of, of the stories. And like you said, I mean, I love these kind of special presentations a, a one and done kind of for the most part. And, uh, yeah, being very independent for the most part. Yeah. So unless you had anything else you want to touch on, I guess we could go into final scores, uh, out of 10 and, you know, of measurements. So. Um, you know, totally up to you. Yeah, I think uh, I'll, I'll just give my final thoughts and my score and all that. I would say that this special presentation was a bit of an improvement over the predecessor. I got to say, I was I was I think I liked the, the original a little bit more than you did, Stephen. So for me, that that was already a high bar they had set Giacchino uh, to see him come back and maybe learn some more lessons since he did the first one. I would say that the main things for me are a really nice exotic location, awesome new characters like Blade, really inventful methods of like weapons and stuff like the stake launcher, uh, some really funny humor in there, some great reveals, big moments, and just the efficiency at which the story is told and in, in the format at which it's given. I got to give this one an 8.5 out of 10. I really enjoyed it. Um, an 8.5... Uh, garlic knots out of 10 <laughs> yeah that's the same score i was thinking like 8.5 broken chairs out of 10 it, <laughs> it like this did not drag at all i feel like the pacing in this one was 
a bit more to my liking, but not too like it doesn't feel rushed. It feels like everything is purposeful. It it does, you know, with some threads left open. I, I think that's a little bit of a criticism I would have for it, but it's not too detrimental. So I think I'm happy with 8.5 and we're looking forward to what else they can do with monsters of the Marvel universe. Oh yeah. This is a, that's a great thing about the Marvel universe is it's so vast, right? Like you have your mechanical people like Ironheart and Iron Man and War Machine. Then you got your, your mystical, like Dr. Strange and the ancient one and all those things. Then you got the whole other side of things with monsters with blade and ghost rider and all those and other powered the duck oh yeah then you know <laughs> space stuff with captain marvel and the create yeah. it's just such a vast universe and it's nice that we're every halloween it seems like we've been getting some really good uh very thematic for our current time stories so hopefully they don't stop anytime soon yeah for sure so before we sign off, uh, I want to ask, like, what are some of your like Halloween time traditions and where like some of the things are like must watches for you around this time of year? Yeah, so I, I, I will say I just like to throw on some kind of series or some kind of movie. Uh, the last thing I watched uh, one episode was I think it came out sometime last year was Guillermo del Toro's cabin of curiosities they're a uh, anthology of short stories that are basically just really fun kind of self-contained stories i don't know if fun is the right word but uh <laughs> pretty horrifying actually have you watched this no but i've heard of it like i've heard good things about it but i haven't gotten around to checking it out actually yeah it, it gives me a vibe of Something I used to be terrified, but also intrigued of on, on HBO way back in the 90s, Tales from the Crypt, same kind of thing. Uh, just random stories, very brutal, very bloody, very violent, um, cautionary tales for the most part. So it's like an adult, adult version of Goosebumps or something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I got that. But like, yeah, more like I said, more, more so than than the movies and stuff lately, I've been delving into some video games that are more creepy than than the usual ones. I've been uh, playing this Redfall game. I've been playing the latest season of Diablo, which is already horrific, inspired enough, and they have a season where you're killing vampires and more vampires. And uh, I think there's going to be a uh, the Dead Space remake. I plan on starting to play that next week, which is basically you're stuck on a freighter in space and it's being taken over by these aliens. And the only way you can destroy the aliens is if you actually target their limbs and sever their limbs. So it's a it's a very jump scare esque, very atmospheric, very creepy game. So yeah, I, I'm doing that. I'm also going to like, we have this theme park nearby. I know it's not just ours, but there's Six Flags all over the country. But our our nearby Six Flags has the Fright Fest, where it's like, okay, you can go on your roller coasters up until like 11 p.m. at night, and there's all these other attractions. And this one would be, would be up your alley, Stephen, because apparently they have like all these different haunted houses and one of them is themed for conjuring and the other one is surprisingly themed after Saul X. So <laughs> I'm a baby when it comes to those things, but I'm going to have to somehow check it out and hopefully I don't get a heart attack in the process. Oh, nice. Yeah. Like I don't like recently I've been, um, I recently rewatched the entire saw series, which I actually don't do every 
Halloween time, but I felt so compelled to do so this time around. And the Chucky TV show tends to come out around this time. And season three has been interesting so far. Um, Like as, as like insane as a show can get, I still like appreciate that. It still acknowledges like all the previous installments of the, you know, the original Chucky continuity, like, the Don Mancini films or Mancini yeah. films. Um, and so, yeah, that can give a good laugh and have some interesting visuals. Like the dolls look pretty good. And there are like some interesting uh, guest characters sometimes. Uh, but another sort of, uh, we were talking like dummy related stuff earlier. I recently rewatched dead silence, um, oh. which, which, came out in 2007 and was from the creators of saw and even though they were unhappy with what the studio changed about the movie i found it to be like a solid movie for that time like i really liked the aesthetic of it even though i feel like the lead actor in it could have maybe done a bit more have you ever watched this one I, you know what? I think I have a lot. Yeah, like you said, 2007. I would have been 17 back then. I definitely remember watching at least a little bit of this. Um, was it something with the, a phone? Um, I don't remember a phone, but yeah, it's got like a bunch of dummies and there's a supernatural element. Donnie Wahlberg plays a detective yet again. Um, so... Yeah, and it has like a really cool vibe and aesthetic to it. I, I think it's definitely worth revisiting uh, for anyone who may have watched it a long time ago, or if someone wants to watch it for the first time. That I guess that's my Halloween wreck for the year. Yeah, and going back to your thought about Chucky, I I, I sent you a video. I was laughing my butt off because I was at oh, Comic Con. Yeah. Over the weekend, yeah, and I was telling you, I didn't explain it to you well through the text, but basically, there was an active presentation of people walking around throughout the four days, Thursday through Sunday at New York Comic Con at the Javits Center, like an actual like parade of people sponsored by Chucky walking around with this banner and, and megaphone, and there was like, like little kids dressed as Chucky, like holding these Chucky dolls and they're walking around like, like I would see them inside the building. Then it'd be outside on the concourse for the food truck. So these people were all over the place and, and they're there was probably about 10 of them and they were like handing people out this, all this different swag. And they're there. It was almost like, I don't know if this has anything to do with season three or not, but it was almost like they were an active campaign to get something like Chucky elected or something like that's the kind of vibe. Oh yeah. Chucky. Chucky gets into the White House in season three. That's that's the gimmick of the season. Ah, that's so great. <laughs> yeah, so these people were. It was kind of the point where the the convention has over two hundred thousand people over four days, and they were doing this every single day, including the busier days. And even inside this building, there they were like an unstoppable wall going through the busier areas. I'm like. These people picked the wrong place to go because I'm trying to get around them. And they're like, Chucky, Chucky. And I'm like, oh my gosh, there's like a Chucky cult of people walking through this place. <laughs> it was it was something else. But yeah, they they have a big Chucky presence every every year there. Like I said, I seen the premiere there two years ago. And uh, 
So if you ever if you ever feel like coming down, you, you'll be happy to see that they have a lot of large Chucky presence over there. <laughs> nice. Yeah, Chucky is the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I guess that'll do it. So thanks for joining me again, Star Raptor. Where where can people find all your content? Sure. Thanks for having me. It's good to get back into the swing of these old things and, you know, just talking about this good stuff that's in our head. But as far as yeah. following me, you can find me on Twitter uh, at Star Raptor. And I'm usually talking about Star Wars or video games or skateboarding videos or something. I'm, main content is on YouTube, youtube.com slash Star Raptor where I will also be talking a lot about Star Wars and playing some Star Wars video games on there and breaking down the latest with lore, High Republic, the comics, all that ongoing stuff I like to talk about. So there you have it. Yep. Nice. And I'll include my plugs in the edit like I do. But yeah, that'll be it for now. And without further delay, have a good day. Okay, so... Check out Question Possible Answer. I'm on the episode about the original Saw movie, which should be coming out soon, I think, by or on Monday. So, yeah, subscribe to Jesse's podcast and you'll be able to see when that's up. You can buy my novels, Standalones and Stepping Stones. The first one's titled Lemons on My Grain. It has vampire, werewolves, uh killer of sorts uh, it's very spooky and the second book is trespassing through the visages which also has a couple serial killers and a bunch of other stuff so there's definitely horror in both of these nice for halloween or just any time of the year uh why just keep the genre to one part of the year you know and uh, stevenshinder.com uh, follow me at Steven Schinder storytelling on facebook at Steven Schinder on instagram x threads although on those last two i'm not very active as much uh, don't really know what i'm doing on those still but you know uh, find my goodreads find my letterboxd and you can also email this podcast delayed replay podcast at gmail.com uh, so your thoughts on uh, full moons? This episode comes out uh, on the day of a full moon, I think, or somewhere around there. And you can also um, find me on Yes Shift, which is a podcast slash vlog that I do with my dad. When this comes out, we'll have put out, uh, or yeah, the same day, putting out in interview with Stephen Lamb, author of Yes, Every Album, Every Song, which just got a revised edition recently. So that should be a fun listen. And yeah, I think that's it for now. And the Me from Another Universe will give a review, a very quick one this time around, of Five Nights at Freddy's. So without further delay, here's that review. Alright, so first off, um, to echo, I echo the same thoughts of the Goosebump series and just want to add that 
This week's episode, Give Yourself Goosebumps, it moved the plot forward somewhat, but with a title like that, you know, Give Yourself Goosebumps, it's rather disappointing that it's not an interactive thing, given that Give Yourself Goosebumps is a sub-series of the franchise that is like a choose-your-own-adventure thing. Um, I've been reading a couple here and there. There's a Goosebumps bundle on Humble Bundle earlier this year, and so I'm getting to those, and some I like more than others, but when it's good, it's good, but yeah, talk about missed opportunity with that, but anyway, Five Nights at Freddy's, so before going into spoilers, although I'm not really sure I'm gonna delve into spoilers much really, since it felt like such a nothing movie to me, uh, yeah, I was very bored by this one, you know, of the extent to my experience of Five Nights at Freddy's is watching my friend uh, Marco um, over on his YouTube channel, Odd Mark TV, play through it or bits of it. It's it's been a while, but it was fun watching those videos, and you know, the idea of animatronics in a horror story, like it sounds like you would think it would be more bat bleep insane and silly absurd uh but in a good way but this movie like it tries to and I don't know if there's more of this type of feel in the games or what but the protagonist like Judge Josh Hutcherson's character and you know the stuff with his family it feels like they're trying to make a dramatic backstory around this or it feels like a drama and there's not as much horror as one might think you know it turns out that this is pg-13 but even then you can still make something like this scarier than it was and maybe more like fast-paced silly absurdity that would be a fun crazy time but this was not that. Um, the animatronics were not used very much, like you would think. And, yeah, I don't know. It felt like they were trying to build these characters. And then it, I just really didn't care much about them. And there wasn't as much spectacle as I was perhaps expecting. Um, I watched this so... so here it got released in theaters and on Peacock, the streaming service, simultaneously. I stayed home and watched it on Peacock. I actually tried watching it Thursday night, watched the first 20 minutes, and got sleepy. Uh, so the next day, Friday, Friday evening, I actually go to a Halloween party that a couple friends and their housemates are hosting. It was a lot of fun. Uh, my friend was the Phantom of the Opera. There were a few people dressed as Toy Story characters. I think as Woody, Jesse, and uh, Bo Peep, like the Toy Story 4 version. Uh, someone was dressed as Rorschach. Uh, a couple people were dressed as Jumpa and Pleakley from We Won't Stitch. So, very fun party. So, uh, after the party, I, I just brought my Darth Vader mask. But anyway, after the party, I get home. It's a little bit past midnight. I I decide I'm going to try continuing the movie and I get only a few more minutes in before I 
fall asleep because I'm super tired from the party. And so uh finished the rest of it this morning. And this felt like such a nothing movie to me. Um, I don't really get what the hype is. Maybe the game, you know, like is a lot better. Like I said, I've only seen the playthroughs I mentioned and it looked interesting, but I have that's the extent of my knowledge. Um, I don't know if this movie is more like other parts of the video game franchise that I haven't seen, but as a movie, it just, it didn't hit me in all the right places, really. Um, I know that Saw X uh, in my universe moved their release date four weeks early, uh, seemingly to avoid competition with Five Nights at Freddy's, uh, which made it kind of funny that it ended up coming out the same day as that Paw Patrol movie, so like Saw Patrol was kind of a meme. Um, I don't know if Saw X would have lost money if it came out this weekend or if it would have been slightly less money or like I really don't know if they would have had to worry but I I think ultimately it was a smart choice to release it sooner and it seems like it did pretty well financially and critically but in terms of reception at least on the critics side Saw X definitely won um on, on top of Five Nights at Freddy's, it, it looks like the audience score is higher, but on other sides like Letterboxd and IMDb, it's much closer to the middle, like five or maybe high five, at closing toward a six type of range. So I feel like it's not being perceived as positively as the people who made it were hoping. So I think Saw X is definitely the better watch and I'm really glad I did not uh, decide to watch Five Nights at Freddy's at the movie theater because it's such a big ask to get up go to a theater and watch a movie and then when you're disappointed that's really frustrating so um, thankfully I watched it at home but it just felt boring to me Uh, none of the attempts at surprises really impressed me so overall my score I would say four out of ten uh animatronics or that's my score I guess uh so yeah I don't really have much more to say about it I'm probably gonna forget it like as time continues um it's really strange seeing Josh Hutcherson uh, as like the older brother a kind of dad-ish figure in this movie and uh remembering like seeing him in Zathura like watching that in the theater as a kid it's like wow I feel so old now but yeah that's my review of Five Nights at Freddy's uh an alternative recommendation I would say and this isn't even Halloween related is a goofy movie which also has animatronics and just one scene but such a heartfelt movie um and yeah i'm sure there are a bunch of other halloween wrecks that you could find that are much better than five nights at freddy's so those are my thoughts and without further delay have a good day